Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. Hello there and welcome to this latest episode of the Mental Health Matters podcast here on Phoenix FM. I'm Graham Stanard and thank you for joining me once again. It's wonderful to have your company. Hopefully you're enjoying the start to 2018 so far. This is the first podcast of the year. It's been a pretty full-on start. Hopefully you're riding it out well, you're riding out the deep midwinters, and you're ready for a wonderful spring. I'm just recording this today in this beautiful sunshine. I'm looking forward to sharing this episode with you. Once again, I have a couple of conversations I've been looking forward to sharing with you. In a little while, we'll be hearing from Myra McHale, a wonderful mindfulness practitioner and teacher based here in Brentwood in Essex. We'll be learning about her background, her journey to discovering mindfulness, and now how she's able to apply it and help others. And also, this episode will be speaking to a YouTube creator who goes by the name of Wild Thing. Throughout his videos, he discusses many topics that he's learnt throughout the years of you know his own personal growth and how he's able to now share things, everything from diet to perspectives on the world and spirituality and how it can improve how we feel about ourselves and uh, move forward strongly. So to start the show, I thought I'd uh, share this song that uh, has been on my mind today, actually. Bit of a classic, but uh, yeah, beautiful sentiment. We're all aiming to find and feel more love. Crumbling world 
of course, and uh, always lovely when I hear that. The miracle of love, indeed, is, uh, I'd like to think it's not much of a miracle. But uh, as we continue, yeah, now's a good time to share the uh, Phoenix FM disclaimer. Uh, We use our own living experience of mental health conditions to help others here in the podcast. We're not mental health practitioners or professionals, and our view is from a different perspective to the professionals. If you feel unwell, we strongly advise you to seek professional help and advice, either from a GP or if it's an emergency, from accident and emergency. However, some of our guests here on this show are uh, mental health professionals, and uh, through the conversations you'll hear examples of how perhaps they are able to help you or others, and as examples of what they do. So we uh, include their contact details in the show notes on the episode page of the Mental Health Matters podcast on the Phoenix FM website, where you'll be able to get in touch with them, ask them any questions, and find out more if they're able to help you. Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. So now is the time for the mental health news. Some items I was looking up this month and uh, thought to share with you. Uh, First of all, a topic that uh, I'm fully aware of after living in London for a little bit, that living in London means putting up with long commutes and long work hours in order to reside in one of the greatest cities in the world. But it could uh, be taken a toll on our mental health. This is an article I saw in Evening Standard over the past few days. New data from the Health and Safety Executive, the HSE, reported that in 2017 there were around 526,000 workers in the UK who suffered from work-related stress, depression or anxiety. Furthermore, one in four people have had to take time off work due to stress and workplace-induced panic attacks are becoming more commonplace. Workplace-related anxiety could be down to a number of things like lack of sleep, putting all of your time and energy into your job, and leaving none for you to focus on self-care. Your boss could be asking too much of you, or just when the multitasking becomes too much. Yeah, there seems to be quite a big squeeze at the moment especially with uh, the pace of life in London and uh, and definitely with the travelling and commuting. Then similarly, there's this article I saw about school children. Uh, Things are getting squeezed there as well. Uh, Secondary schools should all have mental health staff to help distressed pupils. It's been claimed in this article in the Mail that all secondary schools should have mental health counsellors who can give immediate help to distressed pupils 
Imagine that, how bad things have gone there. Uh, the local government association says that the national rollout is vital because youngsters are being forced to wait up to 18 months for support. It has been warned that at least one in 10 children have a diagnosed mental health problem, with almost 19,000 being admitted to hospital after harming themselves in 2015, which is a 14% increase over three years. The government has pledged £1.7 billion to improving children and young people's mental health and well-being. The LGA is calling for 5% of this funding, £90 million, to be used to make it mandatory for each pupil to have an alternative education provision to have access to on-site counselling services. Uh, the call is part of the LGA's Bright Futures campaign for children and young people's mental health, which is launched today, last Wednesday. Uh, the LGA, which represents 370 councils in England and Wales, says the funding would help to ensure children have access to early support without having to go on a waiting list. And then finally, a lack of physical activity among girls is leading to poor mental health and low aspirations. Another report has warned uh, there's a direct correlation between a lack of physical activity by young British girls and them having poorer mental health and lower aspirations than their male counterparts. Uh, boys aged between 8 and 15 spend almost twice as much time doing sport activities as girls of the same age, according to new figures from the Office of National Statistics. They also revealed that girls spend an average of 25 minutes a day on sports activities compared to 40 minutes for boys. So this has been meaning that, uh, that it has an effect on the girls' development. They talked about the correlation between girls' future life chances and the amount of physical activity they do in their younger years. Quite often, high-flying businesswomen talk about being very involved in sport when they were younger. Doing sports as children appears to help girls feel empowered and able to achieve things. Uh, the lack of activity correlates to a greater decline in well-being among children and teenagers. All the evidence suggests that if you're inactive, you're likely to be less happy. So, yeah, interesting topics there that uh, kind of came to mind. I'll uh, share the links on the Mental Health Matters show page for this episode. Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. So now is a good time to share the first conversation on this episode. Wild Thing is a YouTube creator who posts videos talking about and sharing his experiences with personal growth and mental healing. Much of it is described from a philosophical perspective, but also very grounded and easy to hear and feel how it applies to our lives and what we've been through. He offers his email address to get in touch and have a Skype session to talk about what is on your mind. He's open, listens and reflects back what his understanding of what he hears is. I got in touch with him to record a conversation for the podcast, but also to see what he could help with. I had a few things on my mind uh, that came to mind and when I would watch his videos. So I wanted to uh, share those with him and see what his perspective is and to see what help he could offer. So on that note, the recording begins with a sort of testimonial of the Skype session we had just had. I was curious to how it would go and what he would be able to share and help with. I included that part in the recording as I thought it might provide some explanation of how he is able to help should you wish to get in touch. And it was quite a nice way to blend into the start of the conversation. Your awareness of, you know, what you noticed about me and what you're you pick up and pick up with what I say. And uh, I don't know, there's something about it that that is helpful. Kind of, I guess, how I wanted to support others as well in terms of listening. You kind of already do that, but then you have the ability to share 
knowledge that's very you know precise and helpful in that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's that's helpful because uh, I haven't done many. I I turned off the website because I I wasn't doing many Skype sessions because um, I mentioned it a little bit before. Like, I guess there's this cliche I have in my head about how I'm supposed to be like some motherly nurturing you know like i'm here for you yeah type thing but like especially when i <clears throat> when someone like you when i speak with someone like you you're you're mature so there's i guess it depends on who i'm speaking to of course yes but there's no reason to kind of like cry about stuff yeah i don't mean that there's uh, nothing to cry about but what i mean is like I there's nothing for me to cry about. So it's not that like I don't feel your pain, but but I'm not here to feel your pain. Yeah. Do you understand? Because I if do. I Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So you you don't have to be feeling what I'm feeling to help, but you can hear and also you have experienced what you've experienced and you've learned what you've learned. So then you're able to pick up from that and apply what you're able to help with so you don't have to be feeling it or feeling the pain but you're able to apply what you've learned because you want to help that's all mm. you have want to do which which is you know this is already a good way to start this recording because then the next thing i wanted to ask is then what made you want to start the youtube channel and then can touch on these topics it was like a year a year maybe and uh, and like two months ago i saw infinite waters you oh, know yeah. Who infinite yeah yeah he's like some self-help guru and then i saw a smaller channel called vesuvius okay and he was this kid now his channel is called uplifting humanity and he's kind of more of this like motherly nurturing very soft type which resonates more with who i was a little bit before but he was just this kid kind of like i am he was this kid talking about just what he knew about esoteric stuff and about emotional blockades or whatever. And just seeing him speak kind of taught me that, you know, if he can do it, anybody can do it. So I just turned on my camera for the first time and recorded. Uh, I talked about like not uh, listening to people better. Don't don't just wait for your turn to speak, but actually listen to people. So that was the first video. That's and then, an interesting and one as a first video as well, because it's the first time you've got the camera pointing at you and you're speaking. Mm -hmm. And to then have that as a subject of listening more, that's kind of interesting. A nice uh, paradox, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, I never noticed that. <laughs> what was it like uh, sitting there in front of the camera for the first time? Uh, well, the first time, my first two videos are quite awkward because I don't know I don't know how to present myself and I think I ought to present myself in a certain way. Mm. So I'm I'm kind of like trying to be extra slow and extra I'm trying to be like infinite waters basically. But that's I guess that really helps the connection as well. I mean one of the problems I've had with broadcasting or you know being on the radio is which has taken me years of doing it and I'm slowly getting there. What one thing that helps recently is doing a little bit of public speaking and getting some feedback uh. about it. But I've had a tendency in the past of speaking too quickly, especially when I get excited. And this comes back to speaking to girls as well. Often when I speak to them, I get caught up in the beautiful girl spell and uh, want to say too much at once. And uh, yeah, that can trip things up a bit. And to be able to slow down such as yourself does help quite a lot. 
Yeah, well, it, I mean, I always have to remember to to breathe mm. all the time. And I think one one reason men get carried away with speaking is because we're because we're so able to analyze things and so willing <laughs> to to look deeper and deconstruct. It's like one thought just leads to another thought, just need, leads to another thought. Yes. Yeah, the spiral. <laughs> mm. And just uh, one trick as well that I, I guess one thing that's put me off, like having onto camera YouTube bits, even though it's something that, that I'd like to explore is this feeling of, uh, I don't know, a, a kind of a, a vanity thing. But it's just one thing that you do really well at is you have your humbleness with it as well. So you're on camera and expressing what you want to express and you, you're you humble with it. So you kind of you bridge that. For you have that walk that fine line really well, I think, and I guess I get I'd get self conscious of what you know people think of me perhaps too much. Yeah, well, maybe a, a trick that I pull is nobody knows my name. Mm. Uh, there's no personal. Nothing is about me on my channel, and this is kind of like an. It's like in honor of the idea that like we don't get really to decide who we are. So like whether you love yourself or hate yourself, you didn't really get to choose these things about you that you now have to deal with. Mm. <clears throat> and so if I'm like, like whether you're an athlete or whether you're a teacher or whether you're a radio show host, you didn't get to, you didn't like choose to be guided in this direction. So maybe it doesn't matter what people think because, because they have no idea who I am. But at the same time, they have a good idea of who I am. So I suppose, I suppose kind of externalizing or objectifying myself in the way that like, yes, I am a person, but I'm also kind of just like a puppet of uh, the source of creation, whatever you want to call it. That kind of makes it easy to deal with messages coming my way. Uh, yes, being open to the topics and thoughts as they come through. That helps with the pace of your speaking as well. That allows for the ideas to come through. Because I think you've mentioned before how you don't you know, write things down 100%. You just allow it to flow. Yeah, it's, it's much easier said than done because you don't know how much is flowing. Well, I guess you get a feel for it as time moves on. You don't know how much is flowing naturally and you don't know how much you're manipulating but the more tension that you feel, um, the more you're manipulating. So that's when I have to remember to breathe or slow down. Yeah. And uh, and I guess what attracted me to your channel was just all the different topics you cover, which, as I said before, is resonant with the topics I want to cover on the Mental Health Matters podcast because of mm -hmm. how, the, these different things are involved with how we feel. So the things about, you know, you, a little bit about relationships, but also the environmental reasons, nutrition, especially with talking about uh, raw meat, uh, how we're in some you know living lives that we're not hundred percent resonant with our mission, how we're pulled mm -hmm. off course, and then also finding the path a little bit as well. So these are all things I've been trying to learn about myself, and um, you know you're finding topics and talking about them. Mm -hmm. So are all things, these things you've experienced yourself, what kind of has, uh, what am I trying to ask I'm, about, yeah, the different topics and, you, and how you kind of find them for each video or all these things you touched on and experienced yourself? Yeah, well, um, uh, the journey, the journey continues. 
So um, it, it's like we spoke about before this. Um, if you're not, um, if you're not kind of fully dedicated to your sacrifice or whatever, mm. these are big words that I'm using. Makes it sound so romantic. If you're not, um, if you're not pushing yourself. If you're not um, what David Data calls uh, living at your edge, yeah, then kind of the luster of life disappears, and so the only reason I'm able to continue speaking about things, and the only reason I'm, the only reason new things keep coming up for me is because I'm kind of pushing myself. So I'll go through down moments where I don't know what to talk about and I don't but as soon as I start living again you know I don't know what it is about me you know I I don't think you know knowing yourself is kind of one of the hardest things uh to do but something um something is like I'm very relatable or something yeah I don't know uh, yeah I don't know what word but I can I can maybe I can articulate things that other people are thinking or maybe I have I don't know. I don't. I don't really know what it is. Sorry. Yeah, but uh, yeah, again, I can just touch on what brought me to get in touch was, yeah, the relatability, the relatability of the topics, and mm-hmm. that thing about yeah, you have got that empathy and well, warmness to and make it comfortable to connect. Uh, mm. So, you know, at the end of those videos where you said to get in touch on Skype, so I, you know, it didn't sound anything structured, like there would be kind of structured therapy sessions, for example, but. Mm. from what you talked about in the video it kind of yeah you naturally want to get in touch to see you maybe you can help in some way but then even just to talk about my perspective even even what you talked about in that video would would help somehow so there's something about yeah just by talking and to articulate things like you mentioned before but yeah well what's interesting is kind of um we maybe as a society, maybe not you and I, because here we are articulating so so much. But as a whole, people kind of um, they neglect, uh, and this goes back to us kind of forgetting our animal nature. Mm. So uh, so we're all a part of a collective spiritually. Our consciousness comes from you know the same source or whatever. But um, also physically, as physical bodies, because our bodies are animals we're, we're also a part of kind of the animal kingdom collective which is which is a part naturally of the nature collective so anyway i'm i'm trying to what i'm trying to bridge to is um articulation happens on the outside mm. of your brain and emotions happen on the inside of your brain so what happens when you speak about feelings and this is why they're hard to talk about because they happen in in a a more basic part of your brain when you speak about them you're actually you're kind of like massaging them to the outside of your brain yeah and that's where they can be relaxed that's where they can be understood and released it kind of reminds me of how it's difficult to analyze and think through your problems because often they're caused by a different part of you like you know it feels like our feelings are different to the emotion somehow or that uh, like my speaking to a friend last night who said you you who reminded me of the quote you can't f- fix a problem with the same 
way of thinking or frequency of what created it. So mm. you can't, uh, you know, sometimes you can't think through things that you're feeling because they're some sort of mm. they're completely completely different uh, systems. But having yeah. said that, there's something about poetry or there's something about expression or especially in music that does help somehow. So there is something in a frequency of expression that does or is able to to describe things. Absolutely, we were kind of given. We were given this um, this ability to intellectual intellectualize things, and uh, I suppose we ought to use it. So that's where you get things like poetry or music. It's just um, it's just like articulating emotions. Hmm. So, is there something in the you know connections you wanted to have to people? Or I think I touched on this before. But, uh, what were you kind of looking to do? You know, do you want to expand on this? What you're doing, or you know, to connect with people? So, when you connect with them on Skype, for example, do you want to you know, be helping people more and more? Yeah. The one-on-one thing, I, it's hard to get into because it's so, because it's so specific and my shtick is kind of that none of these things that we're going through are specific. So mm. they're not personal. And, um, and so hopefully Hopefully, I, I just continue until I can kind of speak to small groups, and then you don't know where it's going to go from there. But yeah, hopefully, I can just um, open up, keep opening, keep opening it, and opening it. Well, I'm sure that's naturally going to happen with the videos. But it's interesting when you mm. said about uh, how specific and personal things can be. But isn't it interesting how we all know what each other's talking about when we talk Absolutely. about a problem? It, you know all your all the subjects in your videos. It's like, yeah, we can all relate to what's something that someone's going through, which comes back to that connection we all have. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of disgusting how much um, how much emphasis we place on our individuality, and this is something that occurs uh, much more in the Western world. This idea that like that we that we are individuals, and of course we are individuated from one another. Mm. But um, there's far too much emphasis on us being individual, which causes us to isolate ourselves because we don't see each other as, you know, members of the same species, let alone, you know, in other aspects of some spiritual collective. So then we think everything is, you know, all our problems are for us and, uh, you know, and it's simply, it's simply not like that. Yeah. Yeah, we're being atomized from each other, from families, you know, men and women, like we talked about a bit, but also from nature. You know, Christy O.G., who I spoke to last time, said, mm. you know, why is it in the language we talk about visiting nature or going back to nature, whereas we are actually part of nature all the time? Absolutely. And we're being distanced from it, you know, with our diet, you know, this, this whole issue around, you know, veganism, which I got caught up in, but, uh, you know, now making sure that, you know, I'm eating more meat because that feels more natural as well yeah nowadays when i eat um when i eat something like plants or i eat something that's very processed or cooked i get i get bad bad reaction yeah so you've noticed it from trial and error within yourself from because you speak in your videos about how you, how you have been vegetarian before yeah it was i was vegan for a little bit over a year high carb low fat and now i'm a high fat uh low carb raw animal product person <laughs> yeah i'm uh, looking into that as well 
Yeah, and, and it's, you kind of feel the differences. And I heard this uh, wonderful description before how you know there's a reason why animal fats taste good because we're supposed to have them. You know, the same way that sex feels good because we're supposed to be have, reproducing, and it's a way for yeah. us to reproduce. Funny way of looking at it, and also um, the humbling, the humbling aspect of eating kind of raw animal products. Because what vegans commonly say is that people eat meat because it tastes good. Yeah. But um, but raw meat doesn't taste good. Um, it tastes fine. Milk is good. I really love milk. That's because it has some sugar in it. But um. It's really humbling because you you no longer have taste as kind of a crutch. Your food no longer like gives you this fleeting pleasure that you can cover up your uh, cover up your emotions with. And that's also an interesting part of you know vegans think they're becoming more humble because they're only eating plants, but uh, but for some reason it it seems like the vegans are the most they have the biggest egos. They're mm. the most. Like I'm doing the right thing and you need to do this. But it, it's this animal, it's this like animal sacrifice that's been ingrained in nature. All animals die and they're all getting eaten by, all the plants die and even a rose has thorns. So it's it's trying to defend itself. Yeah. So everything knows what's going on here. And getting back to this, like, this is like living on the land or whatever, like, I'm obviously not killing the cows that I'm eating, but the idea that you just like kill an animal and eat it, you know, directly for food, that's that's like, um, that really brings you back down to earth. Yes, and it's got us here in the first place, which makes me wonder, you know, this kind of can lead on to some conspiracy thinking, because if you think about all the things that are dividing us from ourselves and from nature, there's mm. a path we're being led down. We're being kind of separated from, you know, men and women not talking to each other. Is there is there a depopulation thing behind that? And we're then eating food that's not natural to us. So it's yeah. to find the source of, you know, what's going on there. Yeah, well, we have to remember, um, we have to remember how dumb each of us are. <laughs> uh, because we are pretty dumb. So we've been, we've been taught that we're so smart and we're so special. And, you know, humans aren't like the other beasts and... And humans are God's gift to creation and, and so on and so forth. But we are kind of these limited mammalian creatures. And so we're easy, we easily fall for these tricks. So you can look at it kind of, if we speak about just veganism, you can look at it as uh, it's being pushed on us. But you could also look at it as um, we're all asking for it. Mm. That's what everybody's asking for. Uh, they're asking for more kale and more fresh foods and more local grown plants and uh and of course they're happy to give it to us because it's cheaper you know we ask for new tv shows so of course they're happy to give it to us we ask for fast food so of course they're happy to give it to us but there's also can be some social engineering done to, mm. to uh change our behavior wasn't it Bernays that said that to change what the public wants because before we wanted products that lasted but then they mm. changed our what they changed the public's perception or mind to wanting the new thing. Mm. So that can go on as well. Mm -hmm. I heard um, I heard Terence McKenna speak on on this subject, and it's um, I suppose it's a it's a result of everybody wanting to be rich in the Western world mm. because in order to in order to have these kind of cheap manufactured 
you know, abundant material objects, in order to have this wealth, this material wealth, there has to be some part of the world that's working for pennies to produce it. Yeah. So, you know, we get to buy the car and we feel rich to have it, but the only reason it's accessible to us is because somebody made it for, you know, a thousand dollars or something like that. Poor example. The car is a poor example, but mm. anything made out of plastic, uh, like an iPhone, the the people making iPhones are are literally like trying to commit suicide yeah. <laughs> uh, because they're working in such poor conditions. But it makes us rich. It makes us feel rich over here. So, yeah, this actually made me think a bit because again, coming back to mental health a bit, you know, our mm -hmm. perceptions here and what we're trying to do with helping people here is something completely different to say someone living in China or Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. You know what are they doing in their communities? Do they is there do they have their own Bangladeshi YouTube of people <laughs> talking about completely different things about how people can get by and be more happy in their lives? You know the circumstances yeah. around them is something completely different, isn't it? Mm. So there's something that happening in different parts of the world. Is the reality is completely different for people? Is it only that you know we've got to this point in the West and over the past decades of how things have moved that has brought us to hear that this are sort of more disconnected with life and the reality of things makes us makes us wonder more yeah well it's definitely up to the individual to to cut through um the bs you know i i suppose when ignorance is kind of dangerous and when you're young you kind of don't know but it's kind of everybody's obligation to find out for themselves mm. you know what's different and how how have we become disconnected <sighs> yeah it's a big old, big old subject <laughs> yeah yeah you're right especially in schools and then you know how mm. much are kids being aware or made aware of what's going on yeah i don't i don't think um i mean the school system is is pretty outdated mm. when it I don't want to get too off topic. I don't know if we're getting too off topic. Um, not really, because, yeah, it kind of brings me a little bit and then into sort of back to where you, you are in your life and here. Is it, you know, are there things that you learned from school or what you're studying now which relate to what you're doing and want to move forward with? No. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. School was pretty tough for me. I just recently graduated with a bachelor's in English. Ah. And um, and that was also tough for me. That was kind of a familial obligation to graduate from college. I don't think it's not that they're not teaching you what you should be learning. It's that they're not. That's not what it's there for. It's not there to learn how to eat properly. It's not there to learn how to sleep properly or breathe more. This is something that. Uh, Hopefully the culture that you're raised in or hopefully the family that you're raised in is in touch with themselves enough that they could teach you how to sleep or how to eat or something like that. But it's funny because we're blaming, uh, you know, people are so quick to point their fingers at education, but it's kind of like it's it's all kind of all of our faults. We're so disconnected. And then what we expect to send our children to a building where they learn yeah. stuff that we don't even know. Yeah, and then, yeah, this whole thing about parents not being able to teach their kids about, you know, sexual education or mm. um, even financial things, you know, the whole way of what to do with money is the kids leaving, you know, school and even university with mm. no idea about 
the value of money or what to do with it. Yeah, I think it's the the value of money, the how valuable money is. I think people, I think kids don't realize that because they don't see they don't see what they could put their money into that will get value out. Mm. And uh, I think it, it's a very famous saying that like you are your greatest investment but um when we're when we're raised in a way that we don't um we're not very aware of our own quirks we're not aware of what makes us actually individuals and what makes us unique when we're not a uh, when we don't know our strengths and weaknesses and that we have to do something for the world then we're not going to invest our our money smartly we're just going to try to stay distracted while we're here Yes, because a lot of that does come down to consumerism and just spending money to have the thing or to feel good with mm. shopping and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, that side of it definitely you know, brings us more disconnected with nature. Yeah, and and, uh, and much more disconnected with ourselves. You were speaking earlier about um, about how things have been pointing you, you know, back towards yourself. Yeah. And that's this is also, you know, your alone time. Or your connection with yourself. This is the greatest. This is the greatest connection. I, I think I'm going to make a video because I was just reminded about it. About how how we seem to crave social validation. We see we seem to crave emotional validation from other people, but really it's like it's an externalization of craving ourselves. Mm. Because nobody nobody can kind of give you the fulfillment that. Uh, no one can fulfill yourself because you're, you you are yourself. So um, yeah, you reminded me of a big thing I've been looking into recently. Part of this you know time spending with myself is to do better at uh, how I treat myself. You know, I'm trying to remember mm -hmm. that that expression. Uh, you know, being your own best friend. You know, and, uh -huh. uh, and uh, someone recently told me about the book, uh, what, to, what to Say to Yourself When You Talk to Yourself by Shad Helmstetter. Uh -huh. And even that's made a, a big difference because, yeah, we, we're kind of better at being, like what we're talking about, being em empathic or better when we're speaking to other people, but we're, we do that better than we do to ourselves sometimes. Absolutely. Especially kind of with the New Age movement, when you get caught up in the New Age movement, Especially when we're taught that the our ego is useless and mm. it is to be destroyed, yeah, and we are we are simply only a part of a collective, then you just you're just well, like well fuck myself then I don't have to eat you know I can become a breatharian and I can just help everybody except for myself, but it doesn't quite work like that. Uh, the way I kind of articulate kind of like our broad our broad journey here is like we're like a pencil. And, you know, we have limited graphite or we have limited lead. And so our purpose is supposed to write ourselves out of existence. Yeah. To keep, keep writing until the story is done. And then the pencil, we have to keep sharpening ourselves, keep sharpening the pencil until the pencil is gone. But this also requires that we rest our hand so we have the energy to write ourselves out of existence. So by writing... You are contributing to the collective, but if you only focus on contributing to the collective, you're going to get a cramp or something. So you need to sleep and you need to <laughs> massage your hand. You need to keep yourself. You need to keep yourself in the game if you're going to play it. Yeah, we can uh, forget that, and we're kind of taught as well to be productive all the time. And almost mm -hmm. it's easy. 
now like having some rest you feel like you're doing something wrong oh i'm not being you know uh, i'm not doing enough at the moment mm, absolutely that's a dangerous that's a dangerous mindset yeah this comes back to some of the self-help stuff as well how much of this part of the self-help industry is also that um what do they call it the kind of entrepreneurial advice some aspects as well like the kind of tony robbins perspective of like really trying to find that best part of you to because you know make all those millions or whatever yeah yeah we're all entrepreneurs (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not that we're not all entrepreneurs but it's uh it's so much easier said than done yeah and this is kind of something that the whole western world i don't know where we must be going through maybe some like the age of aquarius or whatever but there's this uber concern about entrepreneurialism, right? That's that's the capitalism aspect. And then there's the create your own reality. That's the new yes. age aspect. Yep. The reprogram your subconscious, attract what you want. <laughs> we're taught that we're like these magical beings or whatever. You know, we can just make all money at the snap of our fingers and we can just think about what we want and it'll come our way. But then these they sell so much the law of attraction sells so much because it's so it's so appealing on the surface to people who um, maybe they aren't experienced enough i don't really know what it is but absolutely you don't just think about something and it comes to you if if anything the way uh the way the law of attraction works is it when you think about things you're giving yourself a message you're kind of telling your body what to do and you're telling your mind what to move towards mm. So it's no coincidence that what you constantly think about or what you focus on, there's no coincidence that you achieve it because your your body is like a navigation system. And if you're constantly inputting directions, it's going to follow the directions. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, one of your videos that uh, actually I posted the audio in a previous episode is the illusions in your life. Huh. About, uh, yeah, how your body is telling you and how your, and life around you is telling you. I need to rewatch that one. That's a lesson I forget. <laughs> yeah, there's a. I guess that's why I keep. I, I kept having those lessons that I was having regrets about. Is because yeah, if you, if you don't remember them in those moments, then at least life keeps showing you <laughs> until you do remember it, and then move past it. I think that's also something that's touched upon in in the the way of the superior man. I mentioned it earlier. It's called living at your edge. Yeah. Yeah, if if you're not uh, staying true to like your most recent, deepest epiphanies, you're failing in some way. Yeah, or like the mediocre side of things by just skipping over and jumping on to the next thing. Mm, absolutely. So are you optimistic with how people are that we're going to get through this? <laughs> I am optimistic about myself. Mm. Um, I'm also optimistic about people who will will be listening to this and people who find my videos because it signifies that they want to stay in the game yeah they want to succeed i don't know if i'm optimistic about the majority right of people they're kind of along for the ride wherever the successful people take it because kind of the people who have all the power in the world they're kind of deciding reality for the feeble minded people so that's natural then that yeah the rest would go along for the ride 
Yeah, I don't know where they're going though, but it doesn't um, concern me. Doesn't I, bother me. I, I guess, but that's as why it's good that your channel is around, for example, because I came across it. And so, if you are willing to keep learning and you want to do better, the resources are out there, and they're more and more easily available. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, you are your most valuable resource. And that's how, um, it's not that I don't feel for other people, but I, I know how, at least to some degree, cause I'm only myself, but I know that life gets really tough sometimes. And I've wanted to kill myself, mm. um, even fairly recently. It's people who are depressed, people who consider suicide, they're not getting anything wrong. Yeah. Dying would be much easier. It is much easier than actually toughing it out and seeing kind of where you go and where history is going. It, it would be much easier just to go to sleep forever. Yeah, for so, sure. But we're not here to kind of give up. We're not here to go to sleep forever. That's why, you know, we all do someday. But as long as you're alive, you're, you still kind of have, you're obligated to continue moving forward. So there's no... Um, there's no pity party to be had, and, and I'm, I need to speak to myself on this one because I've felt bad for myself, you know, in very large amounts. I've felt self-pity, and that's one of the worst things you mm. could do is just feel bad for yourself. Yeah, yeah, I've done that a lot, partly why yeah, I got in touch, but uh, yeah, I'm glad the resonance was there and that you were putting these messages out there, and you had that, and it's nice that you also had those videos where you put the opportunity out there to say, look, if you don't want to get in touch... Because you're, you know, you're experimenting with how you want to move it forward and talking to people. That's, mm. a good, that's a good thing to be trying. Yeah, you never know where you're going to go, but you just got to go with, um, well, you just got to keep pushing forward. Whatever is available to you, yeah. those are your only options, whatever you have. What else are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, stagnating. Yeah, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, about um, how we kind of don't have a choice about who we are. And this also connects to the kind of Western entrepreneurial thing and the kind of law of attraction thing where not only are we taught that we can have anything that we want, but we're taught that we can become anybody we want. And it's not that we can't become anybody we want, but we're fairly limited in different capacities, right? Like some of us uh, were trained in martial arts since we were children. Mm. So so they have a chance at becoming a boxer or a fighter. Someone who's never picked up boxing gloves, you can't you can't just become a boxer. If you're not good at math, you can't just become a rocket scientist. So you can't have whatever you want. You can have whatever you want based on your limitations, based on your natural abilities and based on uh, your inclinations. You don't even get to decide what you like what type of women you like for, for all the people who like women out there. You don't get to decide if you're attracted to this woman or that woman. You just are. Yeah. And so there's this, there's this illusion that we have control. And uh, and I'm, I don't know how much uh, control we have, but I know it's not as much as, as we consider. Yeah, that's an inter interesting point that somehow there is this kind of guiding energy and we're all in the flow of it. And you can feel when you're in the flow of life or when you're working against it to try and, mm. uh, you know, either strike your own way or, or doing what you think you should be doing. But there is an, an actual flow to it. Absolutely. And, and when you're doing, 
when you're doing something that doesn't kind of embody your true purpose or whatever word you want to use, you're going to feel it. But so then you don't have a choice. <laughs> then you're forced kind of to do what you were meant to do. I, I just heard a quote yesterday by Carl Jung and, and he, he was talking about fate. And he says, fate is choosing to do what you must do or something like that. Yeah. So life is just kind of surrendering to who you are, like objectifying yourself, trying to see who you are kind of from a third party mm. perspective and catering to that person. That's a good trick. I guess I've taken steps and tried different things to find what made me happy doing. Yeah. Well, everybody does, and, and we ought to be more encouraged to do that. One thing I've found with uh, the people who watch my videos and myself is that we forget. We forget what brings us joy, and we forget how to have fun. And um, children know. Children know what they like. They don't think twice about it. They just kind of act on who they are naturally. Yeah. But as we get older, I don't know, you know, there's many, many factors contributing to <laughs> our downfall. But um, everything gets so serious, we, doesn't it? Everything gets so serious. That's that's a big that's a big point you just made. Yeah, we're supposed to take things so seriously. Oh, we've got to plan this. We've got to do this for our future. We've got to do this or that. But then all, yeah. the, all the fun goes out of it. Yeah. And this and this also um, you're right. It's I can't uh, stick around people who are who are too serious, though, though I have a I definitely have a degree of of seriousness about me and I see it when I'm when I'm with people who are even less or even more carefree than I am I kind of have to like humble myself mm. and uh, we spoke about kind of the psychiatry thing the the going to a, a psychiatrist to help with mental health yeah and part of maybe the unappeal because I've thought about uh, I've thought I've had I've self-diagnosed borderline personality disorder and so on and so forth but you don't you don't want to take yourself so seriously it's like pr your problems the things that you consider problems they're just not as serious as you think mm. you know it's easy to say this but um you know like uh terence mckenna talks a lot about this because uh a long time ago and and in some cultures that haven't modernized children who are born visionaries are praised and, you know, there's this blind seer cliche, like the blind person who can see the future. But nowadays, if a, a child's born blind and claims to have visions of the future, they're going to get medicated. Yeah. <laughs> so what's happening is we're all kind of plagued, blessed and cursed with what we consider to be problems. And the kind of the maybe one of the only reasons, I don't know that uh, that we consider them to be problems is because they differentiate us from other people but that's in fact what we're kind of here to do is find out what does differentiate us from other people because we all are a part of this collective but at the same time we all have some unique thing and you know god forbid you end up treating your unique thing as something uh, that needs to be, you know, medicated. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's how we look at those aspects of our personality to see them as you know, the possible strength or what makes us who we are and why we're here. 
Yeah, you know, we we spoke about this a little bit earlier about yeah. um, how we live in a social world, and uh, and I made a good point, <laughs> you know, because points just come to you sometimes, and, <laughs> and they're not really my points, but you understand. Yeah, that socializing socializing might be like a secondary aspect. Um, of course, I'm I'm a little biased because like I'm a masculine male or whatever. This is also something we spoke about, but. Um, it seems that men are being pulled into the social world like like just being dragged and it's maybe it's looking it's looking as though we don't fit so deeply embedded within the social world if you look at someone like Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or anybody who might be a part of the Illuminati or whatever it's not like they spend a lot of their time just like going out and being accepted by people. Mm. It's actually quite the opposite. They really stick to their sacrifice. They stick to what they're doing. And maybe we spend too much time around other people or maybe we spend too much focus on other people so that we kind of neglect what would make us successful if we dared to nurture mm. that thing yeah by ourselves i'm sure there's something about socializing and being with other people because i noticed you know in times i've spent on my own mm. when i then meet people and maybe talk about some of those things it's interesting often mm. the person i'm speaking to will have gone through a similar thing or reached cer- certain conclusions or just by talking to them you were reflecting Mm. and you're getting the bounce back from life or from them that something is kind of nurtured or seen there like kind of what we talked about earlier that thing about articulation just Mm -hmm. by talking about something and getting out in the open instead of just running it through your mind which can then you can be down spirals but by talking about it getting out in the open telling someone and having them hear it and then maybe and they can either say oh no you're you're crazy man why are you thinking about that, that all that time or or they kind of confirm that they know what you're talking about and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Social validation is definitely embedded in us. And uh, <clears throat> that could also be kind of like a, a part of our animal nature because all animals seek, you know, they seek affection from their partners and seek affection from their families. But I think we can need it too much. It's almost like a crutch. That I think part of this whole validation like on social media and the whole selfie thing of do I look like you know do I look attractive to you and all this kind of thing I think it could be used too much yeah our reach our reach our um accessibility to other people has extended so far that we're asking for validation from people who have never met us and don't give a shit about us yeah and it's like a 50-50 whether they like us or not but but we're judging it as if it's important yeah it's like we're rolling the dice, and I can see, with a gambling metaphor, I can see that it becomes addicting. Yeah. Yeah, that is one of the ills, the whole uh, online social media sort of things. Yeah, and there's there's no kind of suppressing and there's no demonizing our need for um, emotional validation or for social validation, but maybe we're asking for, we might not be asking for too much, but we might be asking the wrong crowd I think this has to do with, um, you know, I'm not very close with my family. Mm. They don't quite understand 
or at least I perceive them to not quite understand. And I think this is something we're all we all can relate with because these past generations have gotten so far from living naturally that um, that they've kind of lost touch with the journey to living naturally. So now we're kind of seeking. We want the social validation from other people, but when you're not, when you're meeting people who there isn't enough natural chemistry mm. with, and you can't open yourself enough to get validation about the things that so deeply need validation, you're going to be settling for validation about shallow things. Mm. And that's fine because it works, but it's much more temporary and surface-based. Yeah. So it's almost like we're plagued to go back to living living at our edge. We're, we, we have to live at our edge. We can't keep up friendships that don't meet our deepest levels or whatever, or we can only keep them up to a certain extent, or we risk suffering. So it's not about what we want. It's not that I want to talk about something deeper. It's that like my soul or what have you begs to to be heard. Yeah, I wonder if some people look for that validation like on social media where they think that they've chosen their friends through a criteria, <laughs> I guess. And so they feel like the validation is more <laughs> important than their families who they haven't chosen, if you know what I mean. Yeah, the criteria is if we've both read the Harry Potter series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but sometimes it can be deeper because it can be people that, you know, you you, you share the same interests or like or in videos such as yourself by people that meet on that platform. There, there is something deeper there from that in that search by meeting people that are kind of searching in the same way or there's a resonance yeah. there. We all have to feel comfortable enough to say what's on our minds. And it's not that um, other people judging us like uh, physically prevents us from saying what's on our minds, but other people judging us makes us not want to bother saying what's on our minds. Because what's cool about gathering a community, right? Because my YouTube channel is not quite about me. It's, mm. it's like about just a human journey or whatever, but yeah. hopefully. But what's cool about the people who gather is just that we're all comfortable to know, you know, to say stupid things. Like I have this one guy who just posts really dumb things in the comments on my videos. And it's not that like we're addicted to talk about, to talking about serious subjects, but, but we're just open. We can joke if we want, we can talk about serious stuff if we want. We're just free. And it's kind of this freedom that you, that you award to other people and I suppose that's what you're looking for too. You're looking for people who allow you to be free mm. with them, but that also requires that you, especially let's say in romantic endeavors, um, that requires that you kind of set the tone of freedom. Sometimes we decide if we are going to feel free and if the other person is going to feel free. It's not always that other people need to help us feel free. Yes, uh, yes, what you mean. When you behave a certain way, when uh, then you, you subconsciously give other people the option to also 
behave that way. And this is how role models work. When a kid sees a rapper get a tattoo on his face, now the kid is like, oh, we can do that? I didn't know I could <laughs> behave in that way. Yeah. This comes back to a little bit of social engineering sometimes, I think. And uh, yeah, where there's been, we've been so atomized in some ways, like with families, for example, that we don't have that more immediate role model sometimes. Yeah, kids are killing themselves, young kids. Yeah. I just, I actually watched Caitlin Nicole Davis. She was this 12-year-old girl in Georgia. She just killed herself last year, well, 2016, around Christmas, so just a year ago. And uh, she live-streamed, because she was into live-streaming a lot and she had an audience, she live-streamed her suicide. And it's really touching because... I don't know, it represents like something that's so wrong that children who haven't who haven't even given like puberty a chance. Yeah. Who haven't even uh you know, they haven't even explored much, but so far they've just been like demonized so much or whatever it is. All they've seen is such poor you know, her her family was poor and they were like pieces of shit and it's like <sighs> I don't know what exactly I'm getting at, but um, it's kind of like up to all of us to live at our edge or we're kind of plaguing everybody else with them. I think that's you just touched on a lot of what I want to cover on this podcast is Uh maybe that is that, uh, you know, we're all looking to get better. But these factors such as social media, what young children have to be put through and the effects on them are a big cause of what where we got to. So, yeah, you're right to kind of take a collective responsibility. An individual, because we, the only control we have is what we do and what we improve in our lives. Yeah, it's tough when our culture is so um, washed out. You know, the closest thing children get to understanding who they are is like some poor ideology that's, uh, you know, some thousands of year old, like patriarchal view of things. And, uh, and the world simply doesn't work in the way that religions say so when you and this is kind of that positive thinking bullshit that's uh perpetuated when you don't have i mean the the thing is it's not that ideologies don't work Mm. it's that they don't work for everybody so some people really are satisfied just um preaching jesus because for some reason the stories of jesus they are able to relate enough with the Bible to kind of view the world in that frame. But um, what happens when you don't have a choice about um, which frame you look at the world through and the one that you're born in doesn't capture your essence enough, then you're going to uh, be experiencing dissonance, Mm. but you have to have the courage and the freedom to break out of it. And the awareness to be able to to know that there is something different. Absolutely. And and if you grow up in a home that's kind of just sticks to one thing, or if your parents are sticklers about doing this, then then your journey is just a little bit harder, I suppose. Or then you can have the other way where there isn't such a framework and then you're not driven uh-huh. to dive into things 100%. Or Absolutely. Explore, you can realize that you can drift a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, drifting and wasting time, that's just as, you know, that's the, the tricky bit. I think we're all kind of on a similar uh, journey. I think I think actually the only people who aren't 
concerned with what we're talking about, and I think this kind of goes for every subject, I suppose, is either people who have surpassed this level that we're at or people who haven't gotten to this level mm. yet. That makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's weird. You know, you just start making videos on YouTube talking about whatever. I didn't plan on what I was going to talk about. And then you just kind of draw people who are like you yeah. because you don't have any other option. <laughs> It's not like people who hate you are going to watch you, just sometimes. Or just to wind you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happens. That's, uh, that's kind of what you're taught in radio, actually, like if you're doing a music show or whatever, is to play the music you like and talk about what you like, because if you play it to what you think people want to hear, then it's then there's a dissonance. Not that it's helped me so much, because I play the music I like, and I'm not, I'm not sure how many people listen, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it can be a double-edged sword sometimes. Yeah, you're right. But, you're right. But you have drawn people to you. You know, I've I found you, and it's you know, wonderful to have uh, met you and finally spoken to you. Mm, the pleasure is mine, man. This was great. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. I wasn't sure how it would work out. I just knew it'd be great to get in touch when you first mentioned the idea, like you know, with your website and connecting on Skype. I just assumed that you were developing an idea to kind of help people in some way, like that, but. As you mm. say, it doesn't have to be defined, but just be sitting there and hearing people's story, but then being able to relate what you know about it with what you've learned, that helps anyway. Yeah, I'm sure that the more you push with something, the details will um, sort themselves out. You know, how exactly you're going to do this or what exactly you're going to talk about or something like that. Yeah, because I, I prepared some, but not a lot, really. I, you know, you know, I, with our conversation, I wanted to talk about where I was in my life. I didn't talk about too many details, but only just by sharing the things that are on your mind and troubling you. That's enough, mm. and then things unfold from there. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it worked great. <laughs> it worked great this time. <laughs> That's for sure.
So my conversation with Wild Thing, YouTube creator. I'll be posting the links to his channel and ways of getting in touch with him on the show page, as I mentioned. And also then, the uh, second song I wanted to share with you on tonight's episode, a wonderful piece of uh, psychedelic ambient music from Solar Fields, Sky Trees, from their Movements album of 2009. So this leads on to the final part of this episode. The last but not least, the wonderful conversation I had the pleasure of recording with Myra McHale, a local mindfulness teacher and practitioner based near Brentwood. I recorded the conversation in the beautiful countryside of Blackmore, not far from Brentwood. During the conversation, we heard about her background, why she chose to pursue mindfulness and its benefits, and the teachers who inspired her. You can find out more about her, her work, and how to book a session through her website, myramichael.com, but again, that'll be posted on the website. Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. I've got the pleasure of uh, being joined here in the beautiful countryside of Blackmore with uh, Myra McHale. Hi, Graham. Hi, Hi. how are you doing? Yeah, really good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for your time, because, yeah, I know you're a wonderful uh, mindfulness practitioner, and it's a subject that keeps coming up often on the Mental Health Matters podcast. Um, I've not been speaking to kind of practitioners of too much recently, but more Mm. of kind of general issues in society. But uh, yeah, it's wonderful to be on the front line and be able to help people and give them tools and um, practices. That's right, self-help tools. And um, as John Kavitzin says, you you don't even really have to understand why it works. It just does work, you know, the mindfulness meditations. Okay. So, but it's it's really wonderful that there's so much scientific evidence now underpinning it. Okay. Because people often want to know, well, why does it? You t- I'm not going to believe it just because you tell me it works. But there's a lot of evidence now. Okay. Which so, is reassuring. Well, yeah, okay. That's good to know. Then you get it. When you see people and uh, they ask you about it, you can then say, yeah, okay, it's yeah, based on this. Take this. a look at this, you know, helps people reframe things. Do you want to talk a bit about your background? Sure, sure. Well, I've done a lot of different things. Uh, yes, in, we all in, have. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of different careers, if you like. But my journey here really started, I suppose, when I was in my teens. I had a, um, I had a real liking for yoga, a slight frustration that I'd never seemed to be the most flexible person, but that didn't prevent me and my best friend teaching it to our fellow sixth formers. Ah, wow, even, wow, fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and just loved it and um, loved the sort of peacefulness that it seemed to bring and the philosophy behind it. I was always drawn towards Eastern philosophers, Chinese poets. And so early 20s probably let the whole thing go a little bit, but mid-20s came back to yoga. And then really it was back in 2004, I, after four years qualified as a British Wheel of Yoga teacher and did a little bit of that and, and very much maintained my daily practice, but didn't do it full time, but understood the benefits of that. But then in my in my work, I started, I was headhunted as a career coach, started working with people and realized that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be of service to others. And in my discussions with people who were, you know, dealing with the disappointments of being made redundant and lack of confidence, I realized that perhaps where my skills were, they lay in talking to people and helping them build their confidence. And this sort of coincided in my own life with a a feeling of a lack of sense of direction and uh, a feeling of burnout and realizing that I wasn't really looking after myself too well. So whilst having sleepless nights and surfing the internet, I started to come across mindfulness. And I, I, I first really got turned on to it by reading Arianna Huffington's book, The Third Metric. And I thought, 
she kept talking about meditation and I thought, well, I know this, I know this. Why am I not applying this to myself more? But then I wanted to understand what the differences were between mindfulness meditation and perhaps meditation that you might learn in, in yoga. That's one of the questions I was going to ask you, actually, Absolutely. what the differences are. And, and so I set about doing that. So I, I embarked on, I'll just wind up because there's not that much to say. Yeah. Um, I did I did a couple of courses. I, I knew that I had to understand it myself. Yeah. So I, I learned with Shamash Ali Dina, and he's an interesting guy. He, worked, he wrote Mindfulness for Dummies. Well, co-wrote it with Julia Adams, actually. And I trained with him, and I love what he's doing. He's got a museum for happiness and everything. He's very much coming at it from kindness and happiness for humanity. And that was wonderful. Introduced me to so many leading authors in the field. But then I thought I needed to learn more, so I also embarked on a course with Julia Adams, fellow co-author of Mindfulness for Dummies, and Marina Gracia, who'd set up something called the Mindfulness Exchange, which was a spin-off of the Oxford University Mindfulness Centre, Mark Williams, the eminent professor, Mark Williams pioneering that. And so with them, I learned how to deliver workplace training, training for mindfulness in the workplace. And so I combined the two things. And of course, with my own passion for it, I've started to, I started to work with people back in, I suppose, 2000, early 2016. And here I am. And it's really what I love to do. I've discovered my passion. And well, there you go. That, I mean, that's the same <laughs> thing with, with anybody in life. Once you just find that thing, yes. and I guess it comes from trying to help yourself. It, so, it came from trying to help myself, knowing that I wasn't looking after myself, knowing that I wasn't applying the stuff that I knew. Yeah. And it's all come together for me, in mindfulness. That's interesting because that's the sort of thing that I've done is that there's so many things in my life that I've known about, tried, and not, yeah. not worked out. But then yeah. there's little tools that you pick up. But you then have you, this and knowledge. Then they, they kind of, yeah, it's, it's yeah. there, but you, if you don't use it, it, it's not so much gone, but you're just not in the habit of using it. Habit. Now, there's yeah. an interesting word. In mindfulness, you look at habits, and we all acquire habits, which some of which are detrimental to us. So it's about going back to basics, and having that beginner's mind, you know, the way a child approaches something for the first time. Well, it's cultivating that in ourselves yeah. because we, be, as as we get older, as the responsibilities pile onto us, we just get a little bit jaded. Yeah, I mean, that's what I guess like, some of the things I talk about is or, or wonder about is like you know that some of the things in life that are imposed on you and uh, that's right, you're, duty you're kind of, and they're, responsibility they're not in your control, and so to kind of you know, work that out basically or or work out how you feel about it and able to uh, in, you know, improve your situation within it. Well, John Kabat-Zinn, he says beautifully, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. Yeah. And of course, there'll always be difficulties, there'll be responsibilities that people have to deal with. But somehow you need to acquire the skills to be able to give yourself some time out, let yourself off the hook, yeah. look after oneself. And only then can you look after those around you. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, getting back to that point, because it's such an interesting one, Graham, about what's the difference between perhaps mindfulness meditations yeah. and let's say meditations that you might learn, Buddhist meditations, meditation through yeah, yoga. Yeah, mindfulness always seems to be a word that's come up recently because I've always known it as meditation. Exactly. Yeah. I think it mindfulness uh, was really started off, the modern version of mindfulness by John Kabat-Zinn in the 1970s in his clinic in Massachusetts. Uh, he's an emeritus professor of medicine. He worked with people with depression, but he, he'd also practiced yoga. He was a yoga teacher himself. Right. So he found that the combination of yoga and meditation practice really started to have an impact on people. And so 
modern mindfulness was born. But of course, it bows to Eastern traditions. We didn't make this stuff up. People have been meditating for thousands of years. But what we're combining it with now is scientific knowledge. And so I believe that mindfulness, of course, it teaches us how to be more fully present in the moment. But it's about brain training. Yeah, It's about learning how your brain works and how your mind wanders and really getting really getting to understand that why that's happening and so the mindfulness meditations i think are all about brain training mm. and there is there, there's a stepping stone then you can go off you can do what you want with your meditation but initially you have to train the mind to meditate and there is skill involved and yeah. if you follow the mindfulness techniques the modern mindfulness techniques that really helps you know you do an 8 week course and you acquire this habit you're shown how to acquire this habit and then you're kind of aware of your own kind of patterns uh, one thing i've been looking at recently is your own self talk and i guess it's a way of being present in the moment and being aware of what's happening when your mind's doing that yes well a very good instance of that yes we've all got the self talk and it's usually negative yeah but when you study mindfulness you you start to understand that the mind is hardwired to be more negative it goes back to the ancient part of our brain, the reptilian part of our yeah. brain, which was always primed for the next threat, yeah. i.e. the predator coming out of the bushes. Well, we still have that part of our brain. And I wonder, is, is, is that exacerbated by experiences as, as a child, perhaps, in, in some times where you know you feel like you know, maybe things weren't as comfortable as they could have been when you were a child, and then you know, through growing up or you know, experiences in your life are reinforced how maybe you feel about yourself. And that's, is that where some of the self-talk comes from? I think we're talking about two different things here. Yeah. T- we're talking about, firstly, the fact that we are our brains are hardwired to be more negative. Yeah. So we tend to remember the bad stuff. Okay, yeah. We tend sure. to, if a bad day is going to last longer, it will carry through the day and the following days, whereas a good day is easily forgotten. And once you understand that the meditation practices actually dial down this uh, negativity bias, that's very useful. That's very useful because you start to become more positive, you know? Yeah. And so getting back to negative things that happen in childhood, of course, we carry them through with us. You know, they're imprinted on us and they affect us. So, yes. But the other thing I would say Mm -hmm. is one of the for, for me, one of the, the real blessings about mindfulness is that you really begin to understand that we're all walking around, if you like, this analogy, I like these analogies, carrying two heavy shopping bags or two heavy suitcases. Yeah. And the one, say, in the left hand is the past. Yeah. And the one in the right hand is the future. Oh, yes. And they really, really weigh us down. They weigh us down in a way that it means that we can't enjoy the present moment and we're haunted by the past and we're catastrophizing about the future. It feels good to drop them. Yeah. It feels good to just inhabit the present moment yeah. life starts to regain its texture you start to become calmer a bit easier to be around you know it's like waves that you put and you out. and you you act in a way that's balanced in uh you're not you know i guess one of the just reminded me of the uh, vipassana meditation where it's, t- it's teaching you to be equanimous or have the balance of not having the impulses of aversion to negative things or cravings for good things ah, and so yes, uh, if, yes. and so if you're balanced and present in the moment as you say not dwelling on the past you know re- remembering negative things too much about the past or fixated on what could happen in the future so then in the in the present moment your decisions you make 
will be balanced and you know you'll be able to handle things better so if there are external things that are possibly you know being imposed on you 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 can have you can be stronger within yourself absolutely because when one starts to realize that one state of mind alters everything yeah so graham you and i could be in the same situation on the same day have the same experience but we would interpret it totally differently yes. because our lens of perception is so different yes. our lens of perception is made up through what's happened to us in our lives and uh, what we have worried about may happen and so we're going to interpret it so differently if, if that makes sense yeah it to does you. yeah yeah, yeah. i yeah. mean I've, I've been actually having a little round of that recently where i think i've been you know looking at things from a slightly yeah, negative perspective where yeah. I've been worrying about things again a little yeah. bit and yeah it does and what you're then observing or you're dealing with might not be the reality of what actually is happening totally right and mindfulness teaches you that thoughts are mental events yeah you know and these mental events they're not always real so perhaps if you're feeling a bit low you're running this storyline this narrative that somebody really dislikes you yeah and uh you know what have you done and what why is this happening to me and so once you start to realize that these mental events are, are not so real um it's quite it's quite liberating and mindfulness teaches us to have the ability to step back from our thoughts a little bit, to be less controlled by them. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's a good technique for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, they talk about it in, in neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, don't they, about having your thoughts on a movie screen. Right. And so you're really just the observer of these thoughts. You can step back from them a little bit. You don't get so involved in the story. Yeah. And mindfulness does the same thing. You know, you hear people talking about, okay, put that thought on a cloud and let it drift by. <laughs> put, it, put it on a leaf and it's sort of disappearing down the stream. And that's what it is, really. It's about gaining a little bit of space. Mm. I think Vic, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, says between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is freedom. I'm sorry if I'm horribly misquoting him. <laughs> but you, I yeah, think you that's very idea. powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. Oh, wonderful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you just described some of the, you know, part of the technique and how the applications, but it just came to mind about how mindfulness as a expression or my understanding of it is can be applied to literally every moment. So you're, I guess that's kind of a, being present in the moment can be applied to everything. You're working, you're working with your hands, you're doing something, you're completely aware of yes. what's happening. Your, your, your attention's in your hands, you're Absolutely, feeling your, yourself sitting on the chair, your yes. feet on the floor, yes, you're aware of your breath, that's a big it's one. About, it's about our disconnection with our bodies yeah. and it's about realizing that yeah. our bodies are sensitive radars for what's going on around us. And we, to quote, Jill Bolte-Taylor in her fantastic book, My Stroke of Insight, she was a brain anatomist that had a catastrophic stroke in her mid-30s, but came back really strong. We are not brains on sticks. Yeah. We are think. We are feeling creatures that think, not thinking creatures that feel. Yeah. So that's really powerful. Yeah. So yes, we need to get back in our bodies. We need to stop doing all the time yes. and we need to be a little bit more but um yeah exactly I mean, that but what actually i meant was even when we're doing 
we can have the constant uh, meditation, if you like, because yes. we're working, we're either working with our hands or doing something, and we can be fully immersed. It brings us back into the body, Yeah, fully it? immersed in the moment of what we're doing. And Absolutely. That, and that even, you know, because sometimes when we're working, we can get, get a bit kind of we're lost We're in our heads our too much, aren't we? But uh, if with, you know, sharpening the training all the time, you can then just be fully present and aware of what's right. happening. I mean, as we're sitting here, you know, feel our feet in our socks and yeah. feel that connection with the ground. Um, if you're driving, which some of us do a lot of driving, yeah. <laughs> you do, I know, it's about, perhaps it's a stressful drive, feel the hands on the steering wheel, feel the hand, the fit, shoes in the feet, you know, just bring ourselves back into our body. Yeah. Um, absolutely great. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing yeah. I like doing when I'm it's, it's driving, it's, it's quite important that you're present in the moment, and uh, yes. you're feeling yourself in the seat, and you're kind of almost then a bit more in tune with the car, so you feel almost... The, the, yeah, the and maybe your reactions are going to be a bit faster. Yeah. I know what you're saying there. Yeah, I think yeah. it's important. Because have you ever had that feeling where you've gone on a drive, perhaps a long drive, and maybe you're on a motorway and then you you kind of wake up and yeah. think, where's the last 10 minutes gone? <laughs> that's the sort of automatic pilot that you don't need yes. when you're in charge of a vehicle. Yeah. And that's where a lot of us are sometimes. Yeah, what happens at work happens in many places, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, well, particularly when you're feeling i think a lot of people a lot of us are operating in a feeling of like low level stress constantly yeah that feeling of having too many things to do yeah. and feeling that you're not really getting anything done properly because yeah. the interesting fact is only two percent of the population multitask effectively we don't multitask yeah. we don't we because every time you want to take on a new task the brain goes offline for half a second yes so if you're multitasking your brain's going offline a lot yes and like just, that is the same that's why you know there's lots of research or evidence to say that you know when they first designed computer processors they designed it on how our mind works yeah when pro computer processors only can deal with one thing at a time we, and that's why that is how I, you know there's multi-threading now but yeah. that's why they made ram this ram memory to uh, buffer uh, oh, all these really? tasks how interesting so that's what we do yeah so we're when we are trying to multitask where our brains are doing a lot we can technically do it we're able to do it but we're not doing it as effectively as dealing with one thing at a time and also it's it's activating um the amygdala the fight or flight yes. response that feeling, you know, like when you've got a computer, we're talking about computers and too many windows open. Well, that's how we feel. We've got yeah. too many things open. Yeah. And um, it causes us stress and anxiety. Yeah. So, yeah. And, obviously, and, and, and anxiety that we're not aware of. It's like it's, this It's like this underlying... Yeah, that's right. But guess what? When you put yourself into your body, you just take a minute or two out and just consider how you're feeling. Like, oh... You know, I I didn't realise that much, carrying so much tension in the jaw, yeah, the shoulders. That's a big one of the people I see. There's a lot of effect of that of the uh, yeah. of the jaw and the neck. Yeah, yeah, interesting stuff, Graham. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. So uh, when you first see someone, because also what, what I, one thing I was going to say when you're talking about your background and uh, your interests in helping people, mm. um, I think it also is one good thing about why you've chosen to do something something like this because you're also very intuitive. But I was going to ask you a little process or how your process is of when you first see somebody for a session, as it were, they come to you for help. What's the process of then and how you're able to apply what you know to help them? Well, I think it can't be too prescriptive. Yeah. Because all, all, all I'm doing is facilitating a process. Yeah. So I, I, I get wonderful feedback. Oh, wow, thanks, you've changed my life. But I haven't done any of that. They do that. So Yeah, so I'm it's almost like you're opening this space yes, for them to do that. I'm facilitating a process, so I never want it to be too prescriptive. So it's really just about sitting down and having a chat 
And then learning about somebody and uh, listening to them, uh, never judging, of course. And then just taking them through an, an eight-week course, really, because that's what you have to do to acquire the habit. Intuition, yes, but again, I, I, I wouldn't want to say that it's all about me. Yeah. Because it isn't. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's right. Because, yeah, you're just sort of helping them heal themselves, like any yes. proper practitioner should do. Yes. Um, but so when you do see someone, is there, a, is there a little process you do, or is it just you kind of pick up anything from them, or how? Well, obviously, there's... You, you you want a, a little history from people, make sure that you know, you know, if there are any medical conditions. Because a lot of GPs, I'm not medically trained, yeah. Graham, but there are a lot of people who have GPs that are sending um, people to mindfulness trainers and yeah. practitioners. So I always make sure that I've got people's contact details just in case. Yes. That, that's a very important part. But other than that, no, it's really about going through the process. And as you learn about the mindfulness meditation practices there's a pro, uh, process afterwards called inquiry mm. and that's when a person gets to talk about anything they might have noticed about that meditation and so as a facilitator it's my job to perhaps suggest things that I th- I might think that that's pointing to ah, or okay. perhaps expanding those ideas with them helping them to expand those ideas yeah. so yeah that must help as well because that uh, then allows people to think about things that happen in a different way. Because yes. if you're asked that question, they probably hadn't thought like that before. If, if they've noticed something that happens or they think, and then that helps people yes. kind of analyze a bit. Maybe, it's, you know, you don't <coughs> apply too much mental analyzing to... No, no, you don't want to be emotions, in analysis but, mode. <laughs> but it, 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 it's learning about that space between stimulus and response and, and thinking, hey, yeah, maybe I can. Maybe I can do things. Maybe I can react in a different way. Maybe I don't have to feel like this all the yes. time, you know. So I think it does switch that light on for people. You know, when you we all say from time to time, "Well, this is the way that I am." You know, I'm, I'm so I'm so hot headed. I'm <laughs> I'm so calm. Yeah, uh, I'm I see the glass half life. You know, glass yeah, half full or half like empty. That, yeah, and yes, of course, there's always going to be people that are maybe a little bit bouncier than others. But this is something different. This is understanding that you can cultivate a more positive and happy disposition. Yes. Having said that, the whole process of mindfulness is not relaxing. If I was going to talk about the differences between mindfulness and yoga, let's say you go to a yoga class, yeah. you can expect to leave there feeling relaxed yeah. if you've been to a well-balanced class. Yeah, like afterwards, yeah. Yes. During it, though. Yeah, during, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, there's no, there shouldn't be pain, a little bit of discomfort sometimes. But then hopefully at the end you get a chance to have a nice relaxation. So I think most yoga teachers would aim to send people off in a relaxed state. Yeah, of course. But with mindfulness, it's not always relaxing yeah. because you're getting up close and personal with yourself yeah. and you're learning about your habits. And of course, sometimes that can be a little bit unpleasant. Yeah, or, because things you might not have noticed before. And you're going to be resisting that a little bit. Yeah. You know, so it's not always it's not always relaxing. Although, having said that, I would say that nearly everyone says, "Gosh, that I feel relaxed." Yeah. You know, <laughs> so. I noticed that as well in in my massage. But you don't expect it some, through some of it, but afterwards, it, you know, you feel relaxed. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> right. Well, I, I can testify to that um, a feeling of deep relaxation because what you do is you you are connecting people with 
with tension in their bodies yeah. and it's can, a bit of a shock <laughs> it's a bit of a shock not, not have been aware of it yeah because you're carrying it around yeah. aren't you graham and you don't even know it yeah and so this could be the same thing with our thoughts and emotions and very minds. much so yeah. very much so because yeah, it might not be necessarily something that manifests in the bodies though emotions often we are we do carry them but uh yeah there could be an underlying you know anxiety tension you know especially you know, a lot of people i see in london is there's a lot of energy around and yeah and so i guess you're helping show people this thing that they're carrying this kind of anxiety that they might not be aware of 100 percent. well do you think it's fair to say cognition is embodied ah yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I, I, that's a phrase that stays with me because I, I I was taught that when I was studying with Marina and Juliet, um, Marina Grace and Juliet Adams. Cognition is embodied. Yeah, and it stayed with me. Yeah, because it's radical. And you can see that in people's behaviors, how they move. Yes. That just, yeah, they're what you know, they're, they're little. I call them glitches that yeah. we have in ourselves. That, you yeah. know, that one of my last conversations with Chris G.O.G., he talks about that he helps people move through, you know, be aware of that and move them through the body. That yeah. He says we should have more space where we're the able flow. to to let it out and yeah. let our body release it. Yeah. And then that can be another tool to, you know, get these glitches out of our mind. Absolutely. That expression, get them out of our mind, that's an interesting one because uh, the other thing about mindfulness is it's about acceptance. Right. So we're never trying to change how we're thinking or feeling. We're never trying to change it. We're trying to accept it. Yeah. We're trying to we'll be notice aware of it, it first. Yes. Yeah. First awareness, then acceptance. Because sometimes, yeah, it's hard to accept these things. And John Kabat-Zinn, he always, you know, he was working primarily with people who had pain issues, terminal illness and that sort of thing. He was trying to get them to accept where they were and the pain of it Um, and trying to sort of work with them to say, well, through acceptance comes freedom. Yeah, I guess that comes back to what what Vipassana was teaching in the equilibrium. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, I guess how I phrased it of getting it out of your mind is a kind of aversion to, uh, to avoid. But first you have to accept yeah, it. Yeah, and see it and just be yeah. balanced with it. Because when you think about it, and I mean this obviously, uh, I, I'm not a Buddhist, but I have great uh, great uh, affinity with Buddhist beliefs. And so in order to stop the suffering, you have to embrace it all, don't yeah. you? And then you can stop suffering. And that, that kind of sets you free, doesn't it? Yeah. You know? And also wanting the other, the other thing is wanting life to be different to the way it is yeah. makes you miserable. Yes, you know we we can't all have these Hollywood <laughs> <laughs> lifestyles, and let's face it, they're all miserable anyway. Yeah, I mean that there is something, some part of that. You know, sometimes we don't have power over. You know, we can have no. power over how we, where we feel, but if we're in a situation at work where there's others who are affecting our lives, yeah. or you know, we're either, you know, there's under, underlying danger or something, then... So you're spending your it. days wishing your life away, wishing that your life could be different yeah. to the way it is, wishing that you could be more like so-and-so, and that just makes you constantly miserable. Yeah. So acceptance is a great thing to cultivate, because it does set you free, I think. Yes, yeah, but um, I wonder sometimes if there's things we shouldn't accept, like a, this example I'm give, you know, giving like in, a, in an environment where you happen to be, say, for example, at work, where there's things that you maybe you have to change in terms of addressing situations, but if there's people, Abs- that are in, senior people who are affecting yeah. your, your life or your work, and you know, it depends how much control you have over well, these things. Yeah, that's right. I think obviously acceptance doesn't mean being a doormat and letting yeah. everybody walk over you, but it, 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 it 
it means that you're looking after yourself. Right. So you're in a potentially stressful situation, but you're not going to let that stress affect you. You're going to just stand back from it a little bit. And of course, there may be things that you need to do. But hopefully through the acceptance, you might gain some clarity. That's a good point. I guess I maybe tried to touch on that that earlier about uh, because you're doing like accepting and being well through these practices maybe we can feel better about ourselves because sometimes when oh yes uh, if, oh, yes. if we if we don't feel so good about ourselves we're worrying about things or we're not accepting then we don't feel like we're able to do something but if the better we feel about ourselves the stronger we feel the more we're able to express or take steps to change a situation and that, have more control over certain things that that's a really fundamental point because anybody can embark on an 8 week mindfulness course but if they if they don't show kindness to themselves, yes, kindliness as people are calling it, and if they are unable to offer compassion to themselves, yeah, sometimes people find it easier to be compassionate to others than themselves. I think that's a very common thing, actually. I'm noticing that a lot about myself, and I've seen, I see a lot of people talking about that. Actually. Well, then it's not going to work. Yeah, you have to you have to learn how to do that. You have to learn how to. Let yourself off the hook. Yeah. You have to learn how to love yourself yeah. again. And this is why I'm looking into the self-talk thing a yeah. bit more. I mean, I've got a brilliant poem here. <laughs> yes, a good time to read that oh, out. Oh, is Fantastic. it? Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. I did a, a fantastic workshop with John Kabat-Zinn yeah. last summer. It was for, you know, teachers in, in the field. And he read one of his favorite poems. It's written by, um, I'm sure he said it's a, a British poet. And it's called Love After Love by Derek Walcott. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another Who knows you by heart? Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life. Wow. It's beautiful, isn't it? Beautifully read as well. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I think that this is a light bulb moment for a lot of people when they're studying mindfulness. The fact that they really don't love themselves and they find it really hard to love themselves i even get people to say just to start the day maybe because i learned this myself through other teachers like i i don't you know none of this is necessarily original thought here graham but starting uh your day with your hand on your heart saying good morning yeah i love you Myra." (laughs) and you know i've had people sit in the class and say come on you know (laughs) you are joking aren't you no i'm not joking no, I'm not. Yeah, you know, that's what that's what y- you need. And yeah, to say thank you for the day. Yeah, and, and to yourself. And yeah, thank you. To, thank you. You know, you are the best friend you've got. Yeah, and you just need to make friends with yourself again. But it's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. I don't remember it as often as I would like. But uh, if something bad happens, where it's a huge kick myself moment could happen. I am trying to bring out more quickly the thought of okay, stop for a second. If I was my own best friend, what would I say to myself right now? now that's really brilliant. And a couple of times that I've, I've remembered that in, 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 in a good 
time in a good moment quickly enough yeah it has helped like put up the fire if you like of the right, way because for me it, it could be the waves of uh you, you know of beating myself it and, all starts yeah. yes yes absolutely and uh, i think that um once the waves start yeah in um cognitive uh, science um they call that going into aversion mode, don't they? Yes. Fear mode. Yeah. So what happens is that the creative thoughts shut down. And so you tend to, through your lens of perception, everything starts to look a little bit negative then for the rest of the day. Yes. And it gathers momentum. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you know that old saying about getting out of bed on, on the wrong side? Yeah. Well, that's what it is because, yeah. oh, wow. Well, okay. Well, the rest of my day is just going <laughs> to yeah. be rubbish now, isn't it? And so you don't... Even if you don't consciously think that, that's yeah, kind of the tone. You kind of don't like. realise you're setting yourself up for an yeah. even worse day. Um, when that when that happens yeah so it's about yeah just dealing with stuff as it comes and um, staying in the present moment yeah yeah that's a you know, beautiful way to see it yeah and we just bring back that gentleness yeah be, be to gentle yourself. to yourself talk about the um, acceptance being open-minded you know the uh, the joy that a child has in, yeah in simple things yeah um, it's about bringing that back into your life and I, I know that often when I've worked with people who have young children or even teenagers, yeah. it's made a big difference to their lives because they're f- more fully with their, their children. You realize the joy of being with them is, yeah, is being, what it's all about. But being really with them, yeah. you know, not checking the phones. and Yeah, because I'm noticing that a lot more. Yeah, and, and also this feeling that you haven't got time to do this because yeah. there's something else to do. Yeah. It's great. It's very liberating. And when when you do really get in touch with those feelings of being in the present moment, you will find that it is easier to focus. Yeah. It's easier to communicate. And by that, I mean speaking and listening, more importantly, to others. And you procrastinate less. Yeah. You get stuff done. Yeah. Yeah, because you know? Uh, you know, the, the kind of the negative slant on things can stop you from doing things. Yeah, or you might have the feeling that you're overwhelmed. Yes, yeah. You're overwhelmed, but you start to feel a little bit more focused. Well, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do this now. Yeah. I can't do it all, but I can do this now. Yeah. And so slowly, slowly, perspective can change. Yeah. So um, it's, it's very liberating because, you know, people who have suffered, I think, with the blues their whole life, lack yeah. of confidence. They feel like there's, yeah, it's never too late. Yes. It's never too late to acquire a new way of doing things. That's a good way to put it because that's one of the things I can I've noticed that within myself a little bit or you can notice it as a trend that uh, sometimes you feel it's too late. Oh, if only that was this Yeah, I'm happened. running out of time. I'm yeah. running out of time. Well, these are all negative thoughts. Yeah. Um, and we have to be aware of these thoughts because some of them are precursors to burnout, depression, or their full-blown depression. Yeah, I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. Um, and it's an illusion, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's like time's infinite. Yeah. Uh, and who knows what's around the corner? Well, we don't. So to, to experience life as it comes, to allow it to regain its texture, its vibrancy, its color. Yeah. How fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, to see things as they are, but like also see the beauty in it. and Yeah, yeah. And when you start to really take on board mindfulness, you, you do find yourself stopping and um, looking at nature and yeah. 
and seeing colors i mean autumn's fantastic isn't yeah it, you know but seeing colors really letting them seep in yeah and it's joyful it's joyful because if one is waiting for you know that big moment oh well i haven't won the lottery this yeah. week and, <laughs> hey it's unlikely you're going to yeah. and you know what if you're always waiting for that if you're always being disappointed somehow you've got to learn a different way yeah and uh, celebrating life's small moments that's the way forward and there's so much, so much science about gratitude now yeah. and how perhaps keeping a gratitude journal or maybe just at night doing a little reboot with yourself yeah. and say you think you've had a bad day and hey, maybe you have had a bad day because that's life, isn't it? Sometimes bad stuff happens, but if you actually train your mind to come up with, you know, at least three good things. Yeah then somehow it shifts perspective a little bit. Yeah. And it can help people with insomnia too, keeping a gratitude diary. That's a good point because you're kind of, yeah. you're getting it out of your mind while writing things down, especially with a pen and paper. Well, certainly, certainly you're retraining the brain. Yeah. It's about retraining the brain to think, yes, actually, you know, in my case, my Newly born grandson yeah. gave me a big smile. <laughs> wow, that certainly made my day. Yeah, I've noticed how happy that makes, <laughs> makes you. It's fantastic. And, um, you know, there, there could have been bad stuff going on, but then hold on a minute, what else happened? You know, oh, a random stranger gave me a beautiful smile oh, out of nowhere. <laughs> and so these things, they change your perspective. They alter the perspective and hopefully, you know, it's a habit. It's a it's a practice. Yeah. As John Kabat-Zinn says, and I do keep referring to him, but you know, his book "Full Catastrophe Living." Yeah. He's just he he is the guru of modern mindfulness. Have you uh, <laughs> noticed any changes in how people are that you see? <laughs> wow. Like yes. I mean, like the kind of when they, people like come to you, the things that are different in terms of the things that are affecting people or how people are. What do you mean at the start or at the beginning? Uh, uh, um, the people that you see that come to you. Are there are there chain like differences in how they are like now compared to say a while back or what you mean after they've com completed no at the mind start like how they are like um their their problems perhaps or I think um there's certainly uh, a trend yeah and that trend is for people to be anxious yeah to be feel overwhelmed yeah I see that in people a lot they feel overwhelmed with life and its pressures. They're not enjoying their lives and they're very cynical too. They don't yeah. actually think it's going to work. Yeah. They don't think it's going to work, but they're prepared to give it a go. Yeah. And then and the happens? nice thing is, it does work. <laughs> you know, John Kabat-Zinn says, you know, you don't have to... Uh, I have a really, really strong interest in the neuroscience and the cognitive science yeah. behind this. I'm not a scientist, but I, I really love reading about the evidence behind it. But um, John Kabat-Zinn says, you know what, I don't really care about the scientific stuff. I tell people, just do the practices. Yeah. It will work. And it is true, because if you're working with somebody who dutifully attends an eight-week course, yeah. yes, they understand exactly what mindfulness is, but it it hasn't touched them because they haven't done the practice. Yeah. And you you will not get the change yeah. if you don't do the practices. A bit like going to the gym. Yeah. You go course. to the gym and you sit and have several lattes and cappuccinos and perhaps a chocolate bar while your friends are working out. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> then you're not going you're not yeah. going to um you're not going to uh, feel the benefits. Yeah. Um the other thing I I have spoken about John Kabat-Zinn a lot but yeah. 
The the book which I um really is the Bible for me is Mindfulness, a Practical Guide to Finding Peace in a Frantic World. And it's by Mark Williams, Professor Mark Williams and Danny Penman. Yeah. And Mark Williams of Oxford University. Okay. So it must be said, I teach mindfulness using MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Yeah. And that's where, really where John Kabat-Zinn comes in. Okay. But we are really leading the way with mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. Okay. And that's what... Um, this book pioneers really okay it's a gem of a book that's probably a good good idea to have maybe on your website is like a, a recommended reading list yeah actually um i haven't done that but it's not a bad idea because i i always i give students a recommended reading list yeah you know for instance there's top of the list is mark williams and danny penman mindfulness practical guide to finding peace in a frantic world but then there's other books like Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for yes, Meaning. Yes, yeah, yeah. Life changing. No, Jordan Peterson recommends that. Okay. Jill Balty Taylor, My Stroke of Insight, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca Crane, Mindfulness Based Cognitive Therapy. Uh, John Cabot's in Full Catastrophe Living, but it's a big book. He's written smaller books. Yeah. Ruby Wax's books are very accessible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're really, really accessible and enjoyable. And um, I like Shamash Ali Dina's stuff and. Um, Julia Adams stuff as well. So you're really embracing the uh, path and the you know, ways of investigating it and finding out more information about it because you really understand the benefits. Yeah, well, I've personally, I've um, my life has really been enhanced by learning about mindfulness, and yeah. also I've discovered work that I love, and uh, it's it's a great privilege to do this sort of work, really, but always with the um, disclaimer. That it's not me. Yeah. I just, I'm the facilitator. It's, <laughs> exactly. You know, my, my ego. Uh, again, uh, at that training last year with John Kavitzina, he had us all in stitches because he said, I know you're all sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm doing some really good stuff because I'm changing people's lives. Because they're always <laughs> telling me that. Yeah. But just forget it. Yeah. You know, that's just your ego talking. They're changing their lives. You're yeah. not. You know, so. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> I think it's a very grounding thing. Yeah, yeah, very grounding thing. Yeah, so yeah, you, yeah, that's how you come across as well. It's, yeah, you're there, kind of there. You're intuitively helping people find their own way. Yeah, find their own way. Yeah. That's right. And and we we have to we have to be very sort of proud here in the UK because our own MPs they've been meditating and yeah. they've, they've set up lots of initiatives the uh, initiatives about that and. They are embracing it and we are embracing it here. We're leading the way because we're introducing mindfulness in the education system, the health system, the um, criminal justice system and the workplace. Yeah. We're doing good. We're doing good work, you know, and the rest of the world are watching us. Okay. It's it's good. So you're optimistic about how things are going to... I'm very optimistic. Yes, very. Okay. It's really great to see it being introduced into schools. Because although I don't work with children or teenagers currently, there's a real need for it. There's, you know, high levels of depression in our young people. And they need tools to cope with modern day life. And I think this is a fantastic tool for them. Yeah, especially, yeah, children to connect in the present moment. Yeah. And also, you know, to get them outside as well and seeing the beauty and everything. Getting, Getting them outside. Yeah. And where better to start than being a parent and yeah. lead the way? Yes. You know, lead the way for, for your kids. And I've seen it with a lot of people. They've said their lives, their family lives have been transformed because they've woken up to the fact mm. that they're not really there with their kids. Yes. They're not really giving them their time. Yeah. 
and it's really changed things and they've got their kids meditating and one one particular chap very successful businessman told me gosh you know thank god he found this yeah. because it really changed life for his teenage son when he was doing his exams yeah he was finding it very hard to cope and now he's his the son is evangelical about it. He's telling all his friends about Fantastic. it. Fantastic! There you go. Yeah, yeah it, was, yeah. it was like one of those things. Once you know the benefits, yeah. you're happy for you it. You want know. to share. Yeah, exactly. And and it's really nice because, as I'm sure you'd agree, we're all creatures of energy, aren't yeah. we? And so when when you are emanating a more positive energy, yeah. You, you, you're starting to get calmer. People start to notice it. Say, "Hey, you, you seem a bit different." You yeah. know, I don't know what it is, but it's good. I like it. <laughs> and so it's sort of you're sending these waves out around you, and it's yeah. it's a nice nice thing to do. Yeah. Mm. Oh, wonderful. That's a good. <laughs> I guess a good way to end it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mom. How can people get in touch with you? Well, my my website is um, com. Yeah, and I'll I'll post the links on the intro page anyway as well. So that's a good place to start, and all my details are on there. And I'm always happy to chat to people because sometimes, you know, uh, hey, I'm not going to sign up for an eight-week course and I don't even know what we're talking about. So, yeah, I always chat to people and, and, and tell them, you know, how how I see mindfulness and, and what my course would be like. Yeah. And yeah, answer any questions they have. Uh, just love talking about the subject anyway. Yeah, really, I so. can tell. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, thanks, Myra. Right. Thanks very much, Graham. Thank you. Excellent. Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. So hopefully you enjoyed listening to those conversations as much as I enjoyed recording them. And thank you for your time once again and uh, listening to this episode of the Mental Health Matters podcast. On Phoenix FM, I believe this is episode five. They've been trying to stay at once every month, but not 100% meaning that, unfortunately. But uh, if you stay tuned to the Mental Health Matters show page on the Phoenix FM website, you'll be up to date with all the latest episodes, as well as via the uh, Facebook page, Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM, and the Twitter as well. And also, they're great ways of staying in touch with the show. Please send me any questions you may have regarding the show and any feedback and how you feel about them as well. And uh, because part of the show is helping me find ways to work through a lot of the issues I've been having and uh, hopefully it's doing the same for you as well. A great pleasure of speaking to so many people who are doing great work in finding ways of helping us through a lot of the issues that are around us and within us. And uh, looking forward to more conversation over the coming episodes. So now I'll finish the show with another beautiful song. Manish Damore in their rendition of Chidananda. So lots of love and speak to you next time. Chidananda Rupa Shivoham Shivoham Chidananda Rupa Shivoham, Shivoham Mano Shivoham, 